you are tuned into our worship service at Friendship Baptist Church in Mont Alban, Texas. We believe God desires to meet you right now in the hearing of His Word. We are a small town church, but we're seeing a big size God, and we are excited for you to be a part of it today. Y'all can be seated. Praise the Lord. It is a good day to worship the Lord today. I just want you to know that. I think every day is a good day, but today is especially a good day to worship the Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. Thank you. Y'all are alive. Y'all are well. I hear you. Praise God this morning. Well, I'm going to get right into it. I'm just ready to just kind of open my hands today. I want to open my hands and say, Lord, whatever you desire, it's yours. I'm ready. Y'all have a day like that? You know, sometimes I feel like I get so constrained. I, I'm just running, 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 running. Y'all ever run? Yeah, you're running, running, running. Some of y'all are just barely making it in here on time this morning. You're like, I've been running all day. I'm here. Sometimes I get to that point where I'm just running, and then I realize, you know what? 
all this effort of running is really me taking in and trying to accomplish all that I can do. And, and the task before me is much more than I can accomplish. And I want you to know the task before you that God has for you is much more than you can accomplish on your own. And so today I'm going to invite you to just kind of open your hands up to the Lord today and say, God, I'm yours and today's yours. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, I don't just say those words. I, I truly mean them, God. It's, it's, it's out of the experience of walking with you right now, God, that I'm burdened to, to just lift my hands, God. I just desire you and you alone to move in my life, God. God, because this world never stops. It continues to turn and it continues to, to throw at us everything that it throws. And Satan, the ruler of this era, Lord. God, he tries to attack in so many ways. But Lord, you give us the shield of faith to drop the fiery arrows, Lord, from Satan. Lord, you give us a renewed mind and a new heart. God, a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards those things, our heart and our mind, God. And so today, God, with our hands lifted, God, we say it's yours. Today's yours. Whatever distraction I have, whatever thing is going on, whatever is occurring, whatever tragedy, whatever good thing that may be going right now, Lord, Lord, I don't want to hold on to any of it. I just want to hold on to you. So, God, we're holding on to you. Take us where you desire today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We all stand and worship us.
the Lord this morning? Oh, I'm telling you what, God is good. And I didn't get to preach last week, so I'm fired up. Y'all ready? I'm ready to get going this morning. I've been ready. I'm excited about getting in God's Word in Exodus. And so we're going to be a little bit of everywhere today. But we're in our series through Exodus. And we looked at how God was on the mountaintop. And how Moses and, and his, his, the elders of Israel and all of them went up and they saw God. The wonder of God. And we talked about that two weeks ago. And we're going to be picking up in Exodus 25 eventually. But what I want to do is I want to start off by telling you that the, there is a God, a holy God, who desires to dwell with His people. There's a holy God who desires to dwell with his people. And let me just tell you, where you dwell matters. Can I get an amen? amen. Where you dwell matters. Where you dwell, and when I say dwell, somewhere that you make your home at. Where you take your residence to. Where you live. Where you dwell matters. Now, growing up, dwelling in southern Indiana was pretty nice. I enjoyed dwelling and growing up in southern Indiana. We were in a small town, much like this small town. Um, we had the, the one uh, stoplight, and uh, we had the small school going on. Very exciting. I loved my small town. I loved it. We lived on West Whiskey Run Road. Where do you think it got that name at? West Whiskey Run Roads, where we lived off of, and I just, um, it was, I always say it was, um, it had curvy hills like a camel's back. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It just was going like this everywhere, just a good old back road. It was a huge deal when they took and painted white lines on the side of the road. Um, huge, huge deal. I remember it. Um, I was like eight when that happened. I was like, man, now we know not to drive off the road. <laughs> and so, praise the Lord, right? Where you dwell matters. I enjoyed dwelling in southern Indiana. Sometimes I miss that single wide trailer with the woods behind it. I miss, I miss that. I miss growing up and, and being little and being a part of, of dwelling there. Then I went to college and dwelt in a, a bigger city. It was a kind of a city like a Tyler-sized area. And I went there and it was okay, but eh, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest. And then we moved to a bigger city, Fort Worth, Texas. And it was convenient. There's everything you'd ever want there. We loved the rodeo. I've never been to a rodeo in my life. And I uh, got to go to the rodeo, enjoyed that. But still yet, there were some things I just, eh, it wasn't a small town. And then about six years ago to this day, like right now, today, this week, um, God moved us here to Blackfoot. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, praise the Lord. That's his glory. But um, I don't know about that. I just know that I really enjoy living and dwelling in Blackfoot, Texas. I love it. I love being here, and uh, the, uh, Walmart takes a little bit longer to get there, right? you got to plan your trips out. It takes a little bit longer. Um, you have to watch for occasional cows. We're driving down the road the other day, and we had to slam on the brakes because there's two black cows right in the middle of the road. Y'all ever done that? Right? It's crazy, and um, you got to watch out for hogs, wild hogs. Um, literally, me and Dwayne got a call last week early in the morning. We had to go save a damsel in distress. She and her baby, the hogs were chasing them. <laughs> So we peeled out. If there's a black mark in the parking lot, it's because we were on the rescue mission, okay? Um, but uh, you never know what's going to happen in Blackfoot, Texas. But I love dwelling here. But perhaps, and here's what I want you to understand today. Perhaps better than dwelling here, better than what, what's more important than where you dwell, I guess, is perhaps who you dwell with. Are you all with me? You know what makes Blackfoot so good? Y'all going to have a hard time believing this, but it's y'all. It's y'all. I enjoy dwelling with you here. Um, it makes a difference who you dwell with. I said I missed the trailer home and, and the, the woods in the back, but you know what I really miss? I miss my mom, going shopping with my mom and letting her get so excited over a pair of Levi jeans at Kohl's. Um, I miss... Um, Scrapping with my stepdad, I'd get off the bus and I'd go down. There'd be a car on the trailer, and I'd get out. I'd immediately—I wouldn't even get out of my church or out of my school clothes. I'd go straight to that thing. I'd rip that radiator out. I'd bust them tires. Man, you want to have fun? Take a, a pocket knife, kids. Don't listen. And bust some tires on a trailer, and then take the aluminum rims off. I just loved it. I loved that that time with my stepdad. I loved dwelling with my family. It was a big deal. Um, I remember the first time Jacqueline and I ever dwelt together. I remember it very clearly. Um, we dated for four years before we ever dwelt together. We, we dated for those four years. And I remember, um, 
I would spend, we'd spend all time, all kinds of time together. I mean, every day we were together, hours and hours we were together. But in those four years, I always went home and she always stayed at her home. We always left, whether it was 10 o'clock, midnight, and God forbid, one or two, right? But I always went home and she always, we never dwelt together. But when we got married, I remember the whole first year of dwelling with my wife. Guys, it was something special. We would just wake up in the bed together, and we'd both be smiling. It'd be weird and creepy today. (laughs) We'd both be smiling, and we'd say, can you believe it? We're married. We're married. We just said every, every night, it seemed like, we're married. And we just couldn't get over the fact that we dwelt together, that we were married and dwelling together. Now if I wake up, it's because she slapped me and I was snoring too loud kind of thing. Y'all with me? But I still, to this day, can't believe that I get to wake up every day married to this woman. That I get to dwell with her. But more important, there's a greater love story that I want to share today. Way greater than mine. It's a story of a groom that made a way to dwell with his wife. It's a story of a holy God who made a way to dwell with his people. And so I want to walk through that with you. If you already say amen. amen. Father, we just are looking forward to opening your word up today. <clears throat> God, you, you, Lord, made a way for, to, to dwell with us, God, and for us to dwell with you. And God, we can't take that for granted. God, you took us who were unholy and through the blood of Jesus and the redemption in Christ made us holy, made us blameless so that we could dwell together. God, the great bridegroom, Christ, and your bride who's adorned, the church. What a blessing, Lord. Help us walk through this together today and maybe perhaps even as we just sung, we would behold the holy God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want us to understand is the Lord created man in a beautiful garden where he dwelt with them. So you're going to be in Genesis 1 with me for just a moment. But the Lord created man in a beautiful garden where he dwelt with them. We can't just pass over this. He dwelt with man. It's a story of God making a perfect dwelling place. In the beginning, God what? Yes, he made the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens and the earth. So that's the story of this creating this perfect dwelling place. And he created the light. He created the firmament called heaven. He created the vegetation. He created the the animals. And after he created each one, he said, it is good. Right? So it is good. And then he said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And he does that very thing. He forms Adam. He eventually makes Eve. And he breathes in their nostrils the breath of life. Right? And then he says, it is very good. It is very good. There's a distinction there when he makes man. And then he dwells with man in this place. What an amazing dwelling place. When I think of the Garden of Eden, this perfect place that God created... I think sometimes we get blinded by the sin-stricken world we live in and we try to put this God in the sin-stricken world and and we have a hard time understanding. But we must go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We must see God for who He was and who He still is today and how we broke that fellowship and how He, through His redemption plan, through Jesus Christ, fixes it. It's a beautiful story. It's called the Gospel. But what an amazing dwelling place this is. A place where you worked without toil. Can I get an amen? Without the sweat of the brow. A place where women could have children without childbirth pain. Can I get an amen? A place where there's no desire over the authority of a husband. A place where there was no cemetery. For there was no death. What a perfect dwelling place this was. But perhaps the greatest part of this dwelling place is who dwelt there with them. If you look at Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't this awesome? Can you all imagine this? Can you imagine just walking? And all of a sudden it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking. I don't even know how to fathom that. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of day. He dwelt with them. He walked with them. He was with them in this dwelling place. 
However, that perfect dwelling place was lost. Just as I said, we rebelled, we turned, we, we sinned. And perhaps the greatest loss was not just the place, but now they no longer were able to dwell with God in the same way. And so the rest of verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But then listen, And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Did you hear it? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For the first time we have man hiding himself from God. Is that sinking in? Think of the, the depravity here. The, 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 how, how scary this is. That we had a God who dwelt with man and now because of sin they are pulling away and hiding from God. They hid because they were afraid and naked. That's what he says. I heard the voice in the garden. But that verse 9 maybe even lets this reality sink in a little bit deeper. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? For the first time, God is recognizing and displaying, perhaps, a distance between man and God. Where are you? Maybe today, that same question could be asked from the Lord to you today. Where are you? Because maybe you're oblivious, or maybe you're naive, or maybe you're just blind, or maybe, maybe you just put on the back burner your sin and all the things that's keeping you far from God, and you're just kind of walking every once in a while. You say, I feel really far from God. I just don't understand why I'm far from God. And maybe today, you're going to hear the words from the Lord where he says, where are you? And then he shows you a way that he desires to dwell with you. Would you listen today? Would you hear him today? Genesis 3.23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden in a flaming sword which turned in every way. Man, what kind of sword? A flaming sword turning in every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And so here, there's a separation between God and man and through the rest of the Bible, we're going to read how this continues, the separation between man and God and this distance. And we're going to continue to read and we're going to pick up in Exodus 25 where we left off two weeks ago. Where we're going to see a foreshadowing of this type of dwelling to return. This dwelling in the garden where God walked with them and the beauty of that. It's going to return. And so look at it with me. Go to Exodus chapter 25. And the second point I want us to understand today is the tabernacle shows that God still desired to dwell with his people. Even after he kicks them out of the garden, why does he kick them out? Isn't that a mean God? No, God is holy, and now we have unholy people. There, there's a separation naturally there. The, the, the holiness of God would completely destroy any unholiness, right? That's the wrath of God, the just of God. And so then through the gospel, we'll see how he makes a way for that. But there's a natural separation that comes. But then God doesn't give up on them. He has a plan of redemption. He's going to bring them back into this dwelling. So the tabernacle shows that God still desired to dwell with his people. Exodus 25, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. And let them, he's talking to, to Moses here, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. By the way, Lance, I'm very proud of trip this morning and the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, knowing that and understanding that, that God moved through that's so important. It says he told him to make a sanctuary where he would dwell with them. This would be the pattern of tabernacle. In the next seven chapters, so chapter 25 all the way to 31 specifically, are going to give great detail of how they were to make this tabernacle. Exactly how long, how the measurements, the objects that would go in it, the, the, I mean, you name it. He talks about the colors. He talks about how they were to operate when they were inside of the tabernacle. It was a very important setup. There was an outer court, and then you go inside, and it, well, before you even go inside, there's this altar. Of, of, um, there's an altar there, and then there's this basin there, and then you go inside, then you have this, this, what they call the tabernacle, the tent, and you have two different areas. That first area is, is the holy place, and they would have the show bread on the right, the candlestick would be on the left, and there would be an altar of incense there. Behind it would be the veil. Y'all remember what happened when Jesus was crucified? 
the veil was torn from top to bottom, right? So the veil, but it's talking about the temple veil there. This is before that. The tabernacle even had a veil. And there behind it was the most of holy, the holy of holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant, as our kids taught us this morning. And so this Ark of the Covenant there, the very presence of God, the whole setup was very important. And through this tabernacle, God made himself especially known in space and time. Because think about this. God is infinite, right? He's not bound by space. He's everywhere. He's not bound by time. He exists in our past, present, and future. He created time. And so he's not bound by time. So think of of the magnitude of what's happening as we read about the tabernacle. That God, who is infinitely and unbound, puts himself in an intersection of time and space. Right there with these people. Look at it with me. Chapter 25, verse 22 now. 25, verse 22, here's what it says. And there I will meet with you. He's talking about in the Ark of the Covenant area there in the mercy seat. He says, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. And between the two cherubim which are on the Ark of the Testimony. About everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So in this time... Around 3,500 years ago, in this particular time, when the Israelites were freed and they were going and the Mount Sinai happened, an eternal God, not bound by time, infinitely in all time, manifests himself in a particular time. And then the portable tent that would be taken up in the room that was probably 15 feet by 15 feet, God, who is infinite, not bound by space, is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at every moment manifests himself in a particular space right here in this tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And so what happens when God intersects in time and space and you find yourself there? Well, what we see very clearly is we get to see the distinction between a holy God and an unholy people. A holy God, and I love the song we sung, Behold a Holy with a people that are unholy. In fact, we're going to see what happens when man tries to approach God and what has to happen for that to occur. So go to Exodus 29. Exodus 29, we're going to be in verse 4. If you're there, say amen. All right. It says, And Aaron and his sons... You shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put on the tunic of Aaron, on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head, and put a holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it over his head, and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons, and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes and Aaron and his sons and put the hats on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs for the perpetual statute. So they shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall put their heads on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall take some of the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and then pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And then you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails. Now, my my dear processing men are like all into this right now. The women are like, are you really reading this from the pulpit? Um, Verse 13, and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its awful, you shall burn with fire outside the camp for it is a sin offering. Guys, what I get when I read this is there's a holy God Dwelling in this temporary tabernacle place. And for man to approach, God gives this foreshadowing of the law and the sacrifices to point to an ultimate sacrifice. We talked about it several weeks ago where to meet a holy God, an unholy people to meet, there must be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice requires blood. And ultimately, we're going to see how Christ fulfills that sacrifice and how this all points to Jesus on the cross. But even then, there was a symbolism, there was, there was the picture, there was very grotesque in the, in, in the sense of, of what it required for a sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. He was there with all of his holiness, but yet man was still far from God. 
So God commanded these animal sacrifices to continue. And we walk through this. Go to chapter 29, verse 42 now. Because he promises, again, what I just shared with you, this tutor, this shadow of, of the true sacrifice that is to come. So chapter 29, verse 42, if you're there, say amen. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Listen to verse 45. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So through all of it, through everything we're walking through, God still promises. He says, I'm still going to dwell with you in a new way. I'm still going to dwell with you. Even though I'm putting these foreshadowings, this, this tutor, the sacrifices of the animals, and, and all of that in place to show you what is to come, I want you to understand there is something to come. And that's going to be the third point today, is that God's dwelling has now come in a greater and more perfect tabernacle. God's dwelling has now come in a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Go to Hebrews with me. Hebrews is in the New Testament. You can go almost um, to the very end. And so Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9. I want to look at just a few verses here. Because this is where we're told about this new tabernacle, this, this greater tabernacle, this tabernacle that is perfect and true. And so as you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 8, we get God's dwelling in the greater tabernacle. Hebrews 8, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. And if you're getting there, that's okay, you get there. Verse 1, now this is the main point of all the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So here in the New Testament, we're told of this better and true tabernacle, not one that man made like in Exodus that we just read, but one that God has made, one made by the hands of God. And so, so we have this picture of, 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 of a better tabernacle. Look at chapter 9 now, chapter 9, verse 11. I told you we're going through quite a bit. Chapter 9, verse 11, but it all ties into the same theme of God dwelling with his people. Chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I love this, the greater tabernacle, perfect, true tabernacle, unlike the first. Shows us that God stooped down from heaven, from the glorious place of heaven. And all of his glory, where the throne is. He stoops down in the time of Exodus to come and be above the mercy seat to meet with his people. In that space and time, he comes and stoops down and meets with But there's a time where he stoops again, just as he did in the original. Y'all remember the time he stooped down, intersecting time and space once again? It involved a cool night where there was no room in the inn. There at Bethlehem, when Jesus, God incarnate, God putting on flesh, stoops down once again, intersects time and space. I love this, y'all. Humbling himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have a beautiful entrance of this God um, explained in the Gospel of John. So turn there, the Gospel of John. So now you're at the beginning of the New Testament, almost, fourth of both. John 1, and y'all probably, a lot of you have heard this and almost probably know it by memory, but I want you to get there, John 1, verse 1, and it's on the screens if you don't have it. In the beginning, y'all finish it for me, in the beginning was the, and the, was with, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, it says, verse 2. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now go to verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became what? Flesh. Flesh. 
and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The actual literal reading, do you want to know? The word became flesh and he tabernacled with us. The word became flesh and he pitched up his tent with us. The word became flesh and he dwelt with us. We have a God who is desired to dwell with his people. And so then Jesus, through time and through space, intersects. He stoops down and comes and puts on flesh to dwell among us. Tabernacling with us. He dwelt with them. He ate with them. He fell asleep there at the boat with them. He's constantly walking with them and and traveling with them and, and praying with them. He tabernacled with them. He was with them. However, just as the tabernacle in the Old Testament was portable and temporary, in the sense of it was only for a season, so was Jesus in the sense of him being on earth, right? Jesus comes and he tabernacles with us and then he goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, and then what happens? He resurrects and then 40 days later what happens? He ascends into heaven, right? So leaves. And so the tabernacle was temporary in a sense. He tabernacled with us in a special way for that season. But then we see the temple would come after the tabernacle. And it was a more permanent place. You can still go to the temple mounds. All of the drama going on in Israel right now. All of the, the conflict and struggle. Most of it revolves around that temple mound. And the temple was there. And the temple was also a way, just like the tabernacle pointed to Jesus, I believe the temple is a way that points to what I believe is the church. Why? Because Paul, over and over again, what does he say? He says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit indwells within us and that we are the temple. And so just as the tabernacle pointed to Jesus, I believe the temple points to us. And so with this greater and more perfect tabernacle, God doesn't only now dwell with his people, but listen to this. He dwells within his people. Hear the difference? Through Christ, now he dwells within us. Second Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. It says in chapter 6, verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? It says, For you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, of the living God. The temple of the living God is what it says here. And God has said, I will dwell. He quotes Exodus 29, 45. He says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people God dwells not only with us but now within us and how does he do that I think he does that through his word and through the spirit you know what Paul's prayer was in Colossians he says let the word of God the word of Christ richly dwell within you I believe that through his word through this book guys this is why the Bible is so important through these words God dwells in us with us we get to hide this in our heart and through that the presence of God moves in our lives I truly believe it with everything that's in me I've walked it I've experienced it and I believe you have too if you have been a Christian for any length of time and you have read the scripture you know how God dwells with you through it There are seasons in life where you have nowhere to turn, no thing to to do, and you, you don't even know the next step, but you open this and God meets you. Are you with me? It's the beauty of it. It's the blessing of it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. What does it mean? It literally, the word is, it is God breathed. And your translation may say that. That it is God breathed. Now listen to this. We just read God creating Adam. What did he do with Adam? He took him from the ground and formed him. And what did I tell you that he did with him? He breathed into his nostril, Melissa. So in the same way, God's breath still is breathing now new in us. When you read God's word, don't look at it as black and white letters or even red letters alone. Don't look at it as just something that's on a page. This is God's breath in which he he breathes his presence into you. Isn't it beautiful? I was talking to my stepdad yesterday and he said, you know, what's really interesting, he says, I can think through some times in my life, seasons in my life that were really hard in different places and different incidences I got myself in and all the different things. He says, you know what I remember most clearly about those moments? I remember what book of the Bible I was reading at the time. It's like God was was with me in those moments through his word. And so he dwells within us 
through his word, but also through his spirit. First Corinthians again says, Do you not know that you're the body, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and is not, and you are not your own? This is what Jesus promised in John when he says, I, I pray to God the Father to send you a helper, that this helper may abide with you forever. Isn't it a great blessing to have the Holy Spirit dwell within us, church? Could you imagine life without him? He's the one that gives discernment. If you're in a situation where you have no clue, it's confusing and you need clarity. It is the Holy Spirit who gives discernment. He's the one that gives revelation. When you are not sure who God is in this moment in your life, when you don't know how he's operating and in the nature of God, the Holy Spirit reveals him to us. The Holy Spirit's the one that guides us and comforts us and gives us peace. All the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit. And so we today experience the greater and more perfect tabernacle today. But it still gets better. And this is the last point that I have for us today. There is still yet a greater dwelling to come. Now, if you just have been listening to me for the last 10 minutes, it's probably hard to even fathom what I just wrote up there. How could we have a a better dwelling than the Holy Spirit of God himself dwelling in us and and the word of God being used to dwell within us and and God moving and, and us being the temple of the Holy Spirit? How could we have something better to come? Well, I'm telling you, this is the goodness of God. There's still more to the story. We don't just finish in this place that we're at with the church and the understanding of who we are. We get to know the end of the book. We get to know what comes later in Revelation. Turn there with me. Revelation 21. We get to hear the greater dwelling to come. We get to hear that this is not what it's all about at the end of the day. That this is great, God's blessing and his redemption, his restoration has all been part of it. And the Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment. Listen to me. The down payment is awesome, right? When you buy a house and you have the down payment, it is good to feel that down payment go and that you have a chunk of that house as yours now. But you know what feels better? When you turn in the last payment and the house is yours. Right? That's the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment. It feels good. There's a blessing and redemption that comes, but there's a greater fulfillment to come. Now, Revelation 21 shares it. If you're there, say amen. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I told you this is a greater love story. This is a groom dwelling with his bride. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Praise God. We have a down payment of that now. We get to experience that in in part now. But there's a greater dwelling to come, and he goes further to explain it. Listen to this, y'all. Verse 4. This is the great hope we have. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. How many of you have cried this week? How many of you have been hurt this week? How many of you have grieved this week? He says he'll wipe away every tear. Amen. Wipe away every tear. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And he will go on and tell you who will not inherit the kingdom. Those who have rejected Christ and live a lifestyle of sin that's not made blameless and adorned because the redemption of Christ has been rejected. But behold, he makes all things new for the Christian, for the born again, for the one who thirsts. God will dwell with us in a new and complete way. Tears wipe, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. Behold, all things will be new. 
Did you hear his question? We've just walked through this great, beautiful promise of God. From creation and how he created to dwell with us. How we rejected and he still desires to dwell with us through the tabernacle. He paints the picture of what is to come through Christ and through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We have the fulfillment of this and we're promised the, this, this, this down payment to show us the, what is to come. And then Revelation 21, he says, this is what our hope is. Christ will return. Christ will return and there will be a restoration of all things being made new. No tear there, no sorrow, no pain, no hurt. And then he says that he'll give freely from the fountain, the water, the fountain of life to he who thirsts. So the question is, do you thirst? Do you thirst? And the blessing is, I believe God gives us this thirst. I believe he gives us this faith, this this beauty of who he is, and this longing for him. But if you reject him, then every bit of this promise, the down payment even, is not available to you. It's not yours. What I've shared is a great story, and it sounds good, but it is nothing you will ever acquire. And the only ones that are acquiring it, the only ones that are in Christ acquiring it, is not because of any payment they gave, but only because of the payment that Jesus gave on the cross. And so today, do you thirst? If so, here's your response. God, the answer's got to be you. It's got to be you and you alone. Not me not my thoughts, not my understanding, not my, my way of making a way to dwell with you. God, you alone are the one that makes a dwelling place with us. And so you are the answer. I give my life without limitation. It is yours, God. Would you do it? How thirsty are you? Would you give your life to him today? Father, I love you, Lord. Lord, we have a great gospel message, a good news of sinners that have fallen short from the glory of God that can be redeemed and purchased and brought near by your blood, Lord. Lord, we have good news that that you didn't leave us in that place of rejection and of rejecting you, Lord. But you pursued us even while we were sinners, even while we were were rebelling, Lord. You pursued us. You, You came and died a death on a cross for us, Lord. And I'm just, I just believe that perhaps, God, perhaps, Listening today, those in this room right here, those listening online, God. Perhaps today you've revealed their thirst in such a new way, God. In such a desperate way, God. Where they can't leave this pew, they can't leave this place without putting their hands up and saying, It's you, God. I'm done. It's over. It's no longer about me. This story is yours and I'm giving my life to you. I'm not holding on to anything, any way, anyhow, except for you, Christ. And through his death and his burial and his resurrection, would redemption find you in this place? And would salvation be known and opened up to your eyes? And would the Holy Spirit be a down payment that comes and resides within you and starts changing your mind as he renewed your heart? And you start to walk with Him. Not that you have to get yourself to a place where, where you can dwell with Him. He came. Christ came while we were sinners. So that He could make us holy. He could take our penalty. Take our death that we deserved. And give us the righteousness that only He could achieve. Through being God alone. So God, in revealing that, would we rejoice? As we cry out saying, I'm yours, God, because you've made me yours. Maybe we find our way to the altar today and say, I'm done holding on. And I just got to put my hands up and say, it's his. It's no longer about me making a dwelling place, but about God dwelling with me. Oh, God, we trust you. We love you, Lord. Would you meet us at this place? In Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks for listening today, and we trust that you were blessed by an almighty God that loves you. Friendship loves you as well, and if you would like to talk to someone, please call the church at 903-549-2542. Again, that is 903-549-2542. God bless you.